Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. So uh, I will, I have the privilege of being able to sh- uh, do the opener for the content, and our goal essentially is to share uh, actionable insight, something that some knowledge that you could take and, and put it into practice, as well as some relevant practicals, things that you'll be able to walk away from this and be able to say, man, as soon as I get back to my team, we're going to begin to implement this stuff. So uh, with that, I would like to open up with a uh, mental exercise. Uh, I'm going to show some particular fighters on screen. And, uh, and we'll, we'll go ahead and identify them. But what I would like for you to do is begin to rate them, which, like, who is the best in your mind and which is the worst, okay? So there's going to be different fighter styles. Uh, and, and so if you can, just think about that. You don't have to say it. I'm not going to ask anybody to shout it. Just think about it. Which one do you think is the best? Which one do you think is the worst? Who do you think is probably going to catch the most dubs if they were put in a ring together? So we'll, we'll do that now. So for the first one, we have a boxer. Muhammad Ali, great, awesome fighter. Number two, we have wrestling. Any wrestlers in the house who, who, who think this is peak fighting? We also have uh, jujitsu, the third one here. And then, which is, that's an arm bar right there. Number four, uh, we, we also have uh, MMA. Okay, this, I think that's Adesanya, right? You guys know this guy. So, so before I show you the next one, uh, I want to make a note about these guys. So all of these have their own particular fighting style, right? Which requires a, uh, a, a particular approach within their realm of fighting. It's all different. So some of them have certain types of attack defense methods. Some of them have specific uh, 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 techniques that they implement, they use within their system of, of, of fighting, correct? They have a certain type of conditioning, body weight, that they all can be different. They have a different type of training and even gear and apparel that they wear. So it's all different based on their particular fighting style, right? And that adds, takes away, and we could be here all day deciding who is the best, right? So I preface that to show you the last one, which is the fighter. Can you put up the last one, you guys? This is the fighter with no fighting style. Can you put up the the gif up there? This is the guy who just thinks they're just going to show up. What is that? <laughs> Who are you fighting? <laughs> so this is, these are the type of people that you think are just going to show up, and they're just going to go off. Pastor Isaac, they're the type of people that, that what do you say about seeing? Uh, oh, yeah. So they're the, they're the type of people that have no formal training. They, that they see, what do they see? I, I see red. I just yeah, go. I just go. It's go I time. I just go. You don't know me, bro. It's go time. It, or, or they say something. You'll know this is the type of person because they're the person that says, hey, foo, it's going to be two hits. I hit you, you hit the floor. But you're just like, you know that they're somewhat delusional because they don't have a particular fighting style that they've trained in. They don't have specific methods. They don't have any of that that they've, that they've committed to, no particular fighting style, but yet they still think that they're going to show up and rise to the occasion, which we know is not the case. Now, back to the mental exercise. Consider out of these five that we put up, we could be here all day deciding who is the best at the top, but we can all all pretty much agree that the last one, the person without him fighting style, probably stands the greatest chance of losing. Correct? Here's a segue on ministry. Okay? You guys knew it was coming, right? So (laughs) it's unfortunate, but in terms of managing teams, a lot of ministries go into that without a particular strategy. We believe, oh, it's just going to come together. We're just going to show up and our entire team is just going to rise to the occasion. 
But we know that that is not the case, that we do not rise to our expectations, but we fall to the levels of our systems and disciplines. And when we operate without a plan, without a strategy, we're not talking about without the spirit. We're talking about how you're managing your teams. And we're going to make a case for that today. We begin to see five dysfunctions of a team. Can you put up the pyramid? Which starts with, um, I'm sorry, uh, it starts with absence of trust, fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, and the last one is inattention to results. These are five dysfunctions by, by the author named Patrick Lencioni. And he, goes, and he comes up with this, and he talks about these things that most teams encounter without system and structure. So these are the things that we're going to cover, okay? Is that all right with you guys? All right. You guys ready for this? So the first one is uh, absence of trust. And trust is the foundation for everything on this pyramid. Uh, so absence of trust and why it's so important is, it, I'll show you another model here, is this author, this American professor named Tuckman, he created this model, and he says that when teams come together, they go through five stages. They first, they, they form, they, they, they storm, then they norm, then they perform, and then they adjourn. Without trust, your teams are gonna be stuck in the storming phase. Because when you, when you operate without trust on a team, and, and, and this, this crosses into your workplace, and you're probably already thinking of the manager that you don't trust, and you're constantly in this chaos. This happens in family. You don't trust someone with money, and you're constantly in chaos. You can never advance to these next levels. It operates in the same way when we're operating with our ministry teams. And so if there's no trust, guess what? There is uh, indifference. You can have a subject matter expert who knows everything there is to know about the Bible, but yet if nobody trusts him, I, you could say whatever you want to say, but it's not going to affect the team. If, if they're without trust, there's suspicion. Because we know, oh man, this person's not going to follow through, so I got to come up behind them, and, and whenever I delegate, I know I can't trust them, so everything's just going to fall apart. I might as well just do it myself. Without trust, there's lack of confidence. And if we do not address trust, we'll be stuck here in the, in the storming phase. And we'll never be able to elevate to healthy norms, effective performance, and even impact beyond in releasing people. Without effective, without, without teams, your ministry teams being coalescing, our entire ministry operation, the effectiveness, the impact that we'll be able to have on the saints kind of kind of begins to dwindle and, and that you won't be able to maximize that. And if we're not maximizing the impact and the edification of the saints, how are we going to reach the world? It, it's, it all comes back to trust. And I think one of the biggest mistakes or the, the, one of the biggest difficulties about trust is that what we encounter is that the gospel is 100% proven, mad credibility. Not one word is ever going to pass away. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, it, we can bank on that. We can make, bank any, every decision in our life on the word of God, right? On the gospel. I think the difficulty sometimes is when we begin ministry, and I humbly submit this to you guys, is that we believe that that same credibility automatically crosses over to our ministry. And that's seen when we begin to obligate people to do, to do ministry instead of building trust. We're, we're, instead of cultivating trust, we're obligating it. And okay, here's, here's my scriptural background for that. I'm not just throwing out my ideas. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, okay? We got Paul the Apostle talking to Timothy. 
He tells him, he tells him, uh, let, let me read this scripture to you. If I wrote it down here. Yes, I got it right here. Second Timothy 2.2, you have heard me teach things that have, be, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. There's two events of proofing. Paul the apostle could have said, Timothy, you're a young guy. I have all the experience. Just trust me. I'm going to obligate you to trust me just because. Someone laughed back there. <laughs> it's like, it's hitting home, I guess. Uh, so, but no, he says, look, I shared this message and it's been verified by many witnesses. It's been proven. So therefore, don't just trust me because I'm telling you to trust me. Trust me because it's been verified and it's been proven. My, that you can hang on to this ministry and the words I'm going to tell you because it's been proven. And then he goes on to say, and the words that you share to the next people. Don't just willy-nilly throw it out. Make sure that there's this proof, this proofing process that occurs so that when you share it, that it doesn't just fall, fall apart. We are responsible for proofing and, 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 and making sure that our ministries are reliable, are, are, are trustworthy, so that when people experience the gospel, we don't have to obligate them and make this, this weird tension in the room, but that they want to trust us, that they want to get in the house, that they want to go under you. It's, this is where it comes down. And again, trust is, is right here at the center of the, the, the proofing. Uh, no, and, and so... You could do it in three ways. I just want to quickly run through this as much as I can. Number one, you could, you could cultivate it instead of obligating it in three ways, through your capacity, through your integrity, and through your benevolence. Through capacity, you could build trust by... Um, I'm sorry, let me take a look at the notes. I try to memorize everything. Is it a, <laughs> but capacity is your max ability. So go first. If you want to build trust and people's trust in your capacity so they see you as a covering, not as a lid, build trust in your own... Or begin to go first in your own development. It's easy to tell everybody, oh, you should, you should act first. You should have initiative. But yet we're, but like we as leaders, we as the people in charge of these teams should go first in development. I'm taking a management training. I'm taking project management. What are you taking? I'm learning how to do Excel. Whatever it is, go first in development. And this is how you could build trust in, in, in your capacity. Number two, in your integrity. Not just in sin, which, is, which will crumble your ministry, but also in your follow through. So this is why values are so important to establish them, to communicate to everybody that are, that's coming into your church and everybody that's serving your church what to expect. I think the difficulty is making sure that you follow through on those values for yourself. So if you say excellence is a priority, make sure that it's not just in the presentation, but also in the 1% differences that you're making behind the scenes. As well as, I'm just throw this one in there, when you see team members violate those values, that you address it, including yourself. Because what's going to happen if people don't see you following through on those values? Psh, unreal. You know, people are just going to walk away. What I, what I see happens is on that, that process of that Tuckman model, people aren't going to stick around for, for, for very long. They're going to just advance straight to the adjoining and say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going, to, I'm going somewhere else. I don't want, I've, I've said what I need to say, nothing's changing. I'm just going to move on. And the last one, benevolence, basically caring about, caring for people even at your own expense. Not just reaching out to someone when you need something. And look, I, I, <laughs> I hear a lot of, oh yeah, we're not here to pit anybody against each other. Okay? These are things that, if you're on a team, you're also responsible for this. 
for doing the same thing, okay? It's not you versus your pastor. It's not you versus whoever the team lead. Maybe, in a way. But you're also on the hook for this, and I'll, I'll share a little bit too. So benevolence, that, those are the three things that you can begin to practice, look at. How am I operating in my capacity, in my integrity, and my benevolence that can help people begin to trust you more? And the next thing that, that trust leads into, I said it's the foundation, it leads into the fear of conflict. Because without trust, you don't feel confident, you don't feel safe, to share your opinion because you're unsure how so-and-so is going to respond to you. Or maybe you are certain of how they're going to respond to you. So, you, dude, I don't want any piece of that. You're like, I'm not that guy, pal. I'm not ready to rumble for that. And so how many times have we come across a situation where it impacts us, but because we don't want to be the bad guy, we don't want to be, the, be labeled as the troubler of Israel, I'm just not going to say anything. And what happens to the team? You're stuck in the storming. Some examples. Uh, <laughs> there's a new believer in your church that come in. They don't know anybody, whatever. They're just they're excited to serve. And they begin to notice, hey, that person gets special treatment. Why does so-and-so get special treatment? And so-and-so happens to be a PK of some sort. And so instead of saying something or not saying something, it's like, say something, straight to jail. Don't say something, believe it or not, straight to jail. Uh, like, <laughs> instead of saying something, you just do one of these. Uh, uh, Jacob, which camera am I looking at? You do one of these, you do a Jim Halpert from The Office, and you just, you look at the camera, you're the main character. I don't know, dude. I don't know, I'm not gonna say anything. I don't know, that's beyond me. That's above my pay grade. Fear of conflict, because I'm not here to rough feathers, because then I might get demoted. I might be labeled the trouble of Israel, but we can't say stuff because we don't trust that we're not going to be harangued for saying what we need to say. Another example, in our meetings, our team meetings, when we, when we, 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 it's almost like sometimes we just prioritize compliance instead of like contribution. We just want everybody in agreement, but then there's mad tension in the hallways that you could just like float through. Because just, you just know that people are sending DMs, people are sending memes to people. And we wonder, like, because we don't let people say what they need to say, so it's all happening out there. Fear of conflict. Because, you know, the last time I said something, they, they, they chewed me out. Okay, and I know you're, yes, yes, yes. But we also have the responsibility, I should have brought a mirror and looked at myself for this. When we say things, don't be so combative. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Yes. Oh, you're quiet on that one. Right? Don't ask questions in an accusatory manner. I should, I should have had a mirror for me for on this one, you guys. We can help this as volunteers as well, okay? And so this is what happens without trust. It leads to fear of conflict. And, without, and, what, and here's a solution. Or, or here's a scripture. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I, so here's a solution. We cannot let on, honor extinguish honesty. I'm not saying do away with honor. You will not, if you're not a pastor, you're not getting in these front rows. Just, it's not happening, bro. <laughs> okay, it is what it is. We honor, we give honor where honors due, and double honor where double honors due. Okay, guys, we're, we're not getting away from that. It's biblical. But in our teams, if we want to continue to have the best ideas, the reach for ideological, like, like next level stuff and, and creating the best conferences, uh, updating and enhancing our ministries to the next level, honor 
cannot extinguish honesty. Here's what I mean, okay? Before I was going to hide behind Pastor Isaac when I said that. Uh, <laughs> what I mean by that, you guys, is... So if you look at scripture, if you look at David, right, before he was king, when, when, if you guys could put up the scripture right here, uh, I'll just read it. Then Saul, when he was about to fight Goliath, uh, Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And he says, I can't go in these. He protested, Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. Did you know that? that Saul was so persistent in trying to make David wear his thing and do ministry a certain way, have this fight his certain way, he tried to make him do it twice? Did you know that? He was so persistent. You got to do it this way. Imagine if honor overrode honesty in that moment. Oh, dude, he's a king. What can, I can't say anything to him. I'm just going to go in this fight. Here, let's go. I got you. Here, come here. Where'd you, where are you? Where'd you go? He like... What, do you, what kind of win, what kind of outcome would have that been? And again, we're not saying be, be absolutely like, like combative, but we're saying facilitate that, 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 that discussion. And the best way to do that is through communication. Uh, mind for conflict. Mind for it. When there's a problem, it's so easy, even in a setting like this with this many team members, just say, you know what? Oh, they're doing good in this area, so I'm just going to not talk about that. Do the five whys. Well, why did this happen? Well, why? 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 And I'm only asking why not to pin someone against the wall, but so we can find out what's going on. And, we, and, and so the person at the end of it doesn't feel like they're being excluded. The people on the front lines aren't feeling like, okay, nobody cares about what I'm saying, but they just care about my effort and sh me showing up on time. Mind for it. Create some sort of feedback loop. If, it's a, if there's a survey that you could do for your team where they can really say what they need to say and you just not just dismiss it or, or like retaliate to them. And so this becomes the next step for the, the third one, um, lack of commitment, which Pastor Isaac is going to go ahead and take over. That was great, man. Anybody, are you guys getting anything from this? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Um, so Marcel did a great job. And really, uh, uh, just, just kind of reframing this, as you can see the pyramid, it's, it, there's a progression. Okay, so uh, absence of trust is the foundation. And so we should be fighting for trust. Uh, and, then, and then that gets built on. So the third dysfunction uh, that the author talks about is a lack of commitment. And uh, anybody ever experienced a lack of commitment in their teams? Oh, no one's being honest here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I, I want to say is as we're talking through these things, um, you know, it, it might be a oh wow moment or a oh me moment, okay? And that's okay because that's what we're here to do. We're here to fight through and wrestle through these different things, these different conflicts that we're dealing with. And that's okay, all right? Uh, God's going to give us the grace to work through this. So this, uh, so, so this third dysfunction is lack of commitment. And, and really, lack of commitment stems from lack of clarity and lack of buy-in. Now, clarity, uh, I, I believe, uh, is...
is the leader's responsibility. And so we should be fighting for clarity. Uh, I like what Brene Brown, she, she writes several books, um, uh, uh, but one, uh, one quote that she has is, uh, is that clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So what that means is that if you're not clarifying your statement, if you're not clarifying uh, the feedback, if you're not clarifying uh, the message or the direction or the mandate, whatever it is, uh, then you're setting yourself up for ambiguity. And and uh, and and you know, we could put we could put the uh, the picture there of of uh, of the uh, of the org chart. And this is what I like to call as the gap graph, okay? Uh, now, uh, the gap graph is an example of a dysfunctional organization, okay? So uh, as the org chart, and these are all important, and Ultra can help you out with your, with your, org, with your org chart if, if you like. Um, but, but listen, so uh, the lack of commitment and the lack of clarity gets compounded or magnified in the bigger that our teams become. So uh, how many of you remember when you were in uh, maybe in a smaller ministry or or the church was smaller or the team was smaller? Clarity was pretty easy. You were just talking to this one person or maybe you were even working hand uh, hand in hand and you were able to show that. But the the more that we start to develop and and build these infrastructures, the further further away we get as leaders from the actual work. And so uh, what happens is when you're looking at that graph, uh, uh, hang on one second, I'm sorry, um, small gaps among the, the top decision makers create large gaps downstream. So what happens is if there's lack of clarity at the very top, whether that's uh, a, a team or a team lead, whatever that is to their team, the further it gets down into that team, the larger that gap becomes. Have you ever experienced that? Where it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the game of telephone, right? Where, uh, yeah, he said it, but not necessarily like that. Uh, you know, it, it, you know or, or you're missing the context here. And so understanding this is very, very difficult uh, for, for all of us. I, I like uh, one of these, uh, there, there was a, a study done uh, in 2019 by uh, a company called Concentric Trends, and they were, uh, they were surveying employees and engagement. And uh, what they found is that 65% of employees are engaged in their work. So this is my question to you. Just think about that. Where, wherever you're at in your context, you work a secular job or maybe your full-time ministry, whatever that is, and you're, and, and you're around people that are paid, Think about that, and would you agree that about 65% or a little bit more than half of people that are paid to do what they do are engaged? I, I, whatever, it's, it's, your, it's, it's your perception of what that is. So that, that's the first question. You helping me out? Thank you. So here's, here's my second question. This may, may be a scary question. The second question is this. Do you think that that number, 65% of engagement, is higher or lower in our context and ministry? You don't have to answer that. You don't have to answer that. Just answer that in your mind. I heard, so, I heard an answer. I'm not going to repeat it. But as we're talking about serving in our ministries, is that number higher or lower? 
These are folks that are giving the, of their time. They're, you know, rushing through, uh, you know, getting through work and taking care of the family at home and then getting to uh, their post, whatever it is that, they're, uh, that they've committed to and serving. And I think about this. I think about uh, the vision that each and every one of our churches have and this network has to reach the world uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful, motivating, inspirational message. And so this is this was this was my conclusion, and you could you know uh, you could agree or you could agree to disagree with with my conclusion. Okay, is that that engagement level will go up or down based on your leadership style, or quite honestly, y- your ability to lead. So our ability to lead will raise or drop that level of engagement, especially amongst those that are serving without pay. <laughs> Another thing that happens that I I, I want to um, yeah I'm, I'm in a lot of team meetings and uh, and 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 uh, this is this is something that we strive for we strive for unity and really what we're trying to do is we're fighting against these dysfunctions towards unity of the church and unity amongst uh, amongst the brethren but w- what happens is when we when we lack clarity and we lack buy-in uh, it it could be because we are pursuing consensus. Now, consensus sounds good, like we want everyone on board, we want everyone to say yes to, this, to these things, but in our pursuit to consensus, it really can kill progress, because we, get, we begin to stall out. We're just waiting for everyone to get on board, and really what we need to do is, is clarify our message, make sure that we're getting buy-in, and then making decisions and moving forward in that decision. Now, listen to this. As we make those decisions, as we make a commitment to these things that we've decided on, with equal passion and with equal boldness, we have to be able to pivot when we realize we made a wrong decision. The worst thing that we could do is make a decision and now get stuck in our pride and say, oh, I already said this, so we're just going to bulldog through this thing. We have to equally say, okay, I, we've tested this, it's not working, and now we've got to pivot this way. Lack of commitment. So lack of commitment, lack of clarity, lack of buy-in breeds avoidance of accountability, which is the dysfunction number four. So, uh, can we put the me- can we put the the uh, the meme up here, or the Spider Man? Yeah, Spider Man. So, how many of us have you know have been in a situation where it's critical, like everything's falling apart, and there's a team there, and everyone's like, "Well, I I told them to do this. Well, they were supposed to do that, and it's a mess." We can leave that slide up because I think, you know, some of us are, this, this is going through our, our minds. But really, it's our ability to set and meet goals is, is, is ideal. And so when we set a goal or we set a task, we, I, I, in, I, in an ideal world, we set that and we meet that task. Unfortunately, that's not always the result. And so uh, there, there's a study done by the American Society of Training Development, and th- they said this. They said that 
uh, there's a 65% chance of completing a goal if a person commits to another person. So I love this about our pastor. Our pastor always reminds us, hey, make sure that when you're delegating or you're asking of something or someone has asked to take on a responsibility, you ask for their commitment. Hey, can I ask you to commit to this? Are you going to be able to do this? I love that. It's part of our culture. So the study says that if you get that personal commitment from somebody, it's going to be, uh, there's a chance, a 65% chance of that actually happening. So maybe some of us are frustrated because we can't get people to commit. And quite honestly, you haven't asked them to. You assume that they'll commit. You assume that the cause is big enough to draw you in with passion to go and work in the kids' church. So, so the study, study says 65% chance of those fulfilling their obligation or their commitment if you ask for a commitment. So I would challenge you to begin to start asking folks for commitment. Commit to the cause. Commit to the team. Commit to, to honor your word. Further stated and further found is that that number from 65 goes to 95% if there's a system put in place for you to come back in and check in. Now, whatever that means, next week, uh, you know, in, in a month or quarterly, hey, you've committed to this. In 30 days from now, we're going to get back together and we're going to check in how we're progressing towards that thing that you committed to. If we're able to do that and we're able to have integrity and actually follow through on that, 95% chance that what that person has committed to, they'll actually, fo they'll actually follow through and do. It's powerful. And, and as we're talking through this, I, I do want to acknowledge the fact that there's a lot of work. This is a lot of work. It's not just showing up and we're going to have a great service and it's going to be powerful and the power of God is going to move. That, that is our purpose. But all of this other stuff, all of this getting teams in, uh, in sync and center, uh, creating the synergy, it's a lot of work. And so I would ask team leaders, would you commit to your team to be a better leader in asking for commitment and then following through? I think, that, I think that's important. Uh, the last one, and I'll, I'll go through this. Uh, I'll, I'll go through this fast. And really, as we progress here, you see that this is the pinnacle of dysfunction. And the fifth dysfunction is inattention to results. Now, listen. This is how this happens. It progresses from an absence of trust to a fear of conflict. I can't say anything anymore. And 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 fr uh, from from that, I, I lost. What is it? Lack of commitment, I, I can't buy into that because I don't trust and I'm, I, I, I can't say anything. Uh, from that, now we have, we really feel like we have the ability to avoid accountability because I never believed in that thing in the first place, so you can't hold me accountable to it. So we, get, we, we progress all the way here in our dysfunction to the fifth one, which is inattention to results. And this is ultimately what all of that dysfunction breeds is a me over we culture. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's all about me. Wow. Let's, put, let's, let's put up that last slide here. <laughs> it's all about me. I have no one that's going, to, I'm helpless. I have no one that's advocating for me. No one cares. And what happens is this dysfunction erodes our culture. It erodes our teams. 
It's cancerous. It's toxic. And it breeds, well, I'm going to just go out and get mine. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I have to do. Doesn't matter what I have to manipulate. As long as I have expression, as long as I have platform, as long as people uh, are able to recognize me, that's all that matters. And it undermines what God is trying to do in our teams. So we begin to seek our own personal goals and our, and our status at the expense of the team. So, so this is it. Five, five, five dysfunctions. We could move to the, next, to the next slide. You guys get anything out of this? Yeah, so, so do me a favor here. We're, we're going to transition, and uh, uh, um, we have this slide up. Pull your phone out. Uh, this is, this is a, a PDF that will, uh, that, that will take you to just a little bit more of an expounding on what we've talked about this morning. And while, and, and while you're doing that, um, uh, we're, we're going to segue into uh, the panel of pastors here. And so uh, would, you, would you help me uh, welcome our, our uh, panelists, our pastors here? Maybe you could clap a little bit longer. There we go. All right. <laughs> and so, as we segue towards the, towards this panel, this is what this is what we're going to do this morning. We've just gone through and elaborated on these five dysfunctions. And so what we're going to do, uh, uh, Marcel and myself, we're going to walk through those five dysfunctions, and we're going to ask the panelists to maybe expound on that, maybe their own personal uh, experience with that, um, or, uh, or, or maybe even a little bit more insight on how they've seen these things play out. And so uh, uh, we're going to get we're going to get through that, and then also uh, we're going to go out and we're going to take questions, general questions from from you. So as we're talking, hopefully you've been taking notes. Hopefully you've been taking notes. Um, but, but if not, you know, you, you still have an opportunity here, okay? So, uh, so uh, as, as our pastors are, um, are, are sharing, uh, if you have a thought or if you have, I'm sorry, not a thought, uh, they're, they're the panelists, okay? So, uh, but if you have a question about how that could apply, uh, uh, you know, get that question together and then we'll have some time for that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let uh, our pastors, our, uh, our panelists introduce themselves. And so, uh, Pastor Angel, would you? Yeah, my name is Pastor Angel Flores from Austin, Texas. That's right, baby. Pastor Max, campus pastor, Restoration Life Atlanta. Hello, everyone. Um, Matthew Lara, pastor at Reach Church LA. Sorry, baby. baby. Eddie Vargas, uh, pastor of Restoration Life Los Angeles. Dave Hernandez, uh, out of Reclaim Hutto. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go through these questions, and again, we're going to go through the five dysfunctions, and our pastors are going to be able to speak to each one. So the first one, absence of trust. Pastor Angel, how have you seen this impact the church? Do you have an example of how, it, how it's impacted the church? And then what have you worked to to build trust to mitigate that issue? Wow. All right. I'll go first. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think for, 
either a church, a ministry, even just an organization altogether, like the absence of trust just uh, produces um, chaos. And so I think as a pastor or a, whether you're here, you're a team leader, um, you have the responsibility, first of all, to create the environment of trust. It really falls on you as the leader. Um, and so for when I think about maybe our teams and building that level of trust for myself, um, obviously I think you want to be able to trust that people are going to operate in, the, in their functions and responsibilities. You know, a running back's going to trust that there's blockers for them. Um, but I think also for creating a level of trust, um, it comes really down to vulnerability. I think as a pastor, if I want my team to, re to be able to trust each other, um, I have to be able to be the first one to be vulnerable. And, 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 you know, in our teams, they know, like, when I mess up, I'll be the first one to say I messed up. And I want to say it before they tell me, honestly. <laughs> right? And so if we come into our, our, our morning meeting and I know I dropped the ball in an area, I'm like, okay, hold on. Before we move any further, before anybody calls me out, I want to call myself out. And I want to I own this. And what that does is that creates a level of like, okay, because he's vulnerable and he's, he's not here trying to put on a front or protect his, his image or, or, or shelter his ego, then I can trust that I can be vulnerable in areas where maybe I, I, I dropped the ball. And when you create that environment of like, hey, listen, we, we all believe in the bigger picture here. And that we're not here to just call each other out and tear each other down and compete with one another. We, we all want to see each other succeed because when you win, we win. And so I think it's so critical, again, whether you're a pastor or a team leader, is that you got to take the initiative in being vulnerable to create that environment of, of trust. Amen. Do any of you else? Come on, yeah, give it up. So that was, I loved it. Does anybody else want to jump in on that? All right, praise God. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Max, uh, the next one, fear of conflict. How have you seen this impact teams in, in your ministry? Uh, and then what have you done to help mitigate that and get people engaging in conflict for the pursuit of the best idea? Yeah, um, I've seen it in teams where you know, we have a, a, a generation that become very passive aggressive and not knowing if they can begin to speak up. So one of the first things that we think about with any meeting is do we have the right people in the room? So for whatever we're planning, everybody can't come. Take, for example, this conference. I'm not going to bring the whole entire church in for a meeting. All right, let's vote on the lights. Let's vote on the out. So the right people have to be in the right room. And these have to be a people that have already established trust. Right? I think that's something that we can make a mistake on early is we don't bring the right people into the room, so there's already that issue of trust. The next thing is, now that I've brought these people in the room, I'm valuing their opinion. So I'm coming in as the leader. This is our objective. Now how do we get to this objective? And now it's my responsibility to include those that I brought into this room to share time with the floor for their engagement and also teaching what type of meeting are we having. Because we aren't going to discuss every aspect 
in detail. So if this is a creative meeting, we're going to talk creatively. If this is a strategy meeting, we're going to talk strategy. Sometimes what happens is we blend these meetings together. And so somebody's being creative, then the next person's shooting holes in this person's idea before we even get a chance to explore the idea. And me as a leader, I can't have that either where somebody has an idea and I go, ah, oh, that's dumb, I don't stop. And then move on, because now that person, well, I don't even know why I'm here. And so learning how to understand first, first, who belongs in this meeting, what kind of meeting we have, and now how to properly share time in the meeting to explore these ideas, these opinions, and then progress. Because the other thing you don't want to have happen is somebody begin to dominate, groupthink takes over, and because that person has such an influence, everybody else kind of falls back into the room and like, oh, because you generate a compliance but not a buy-in. And you want to have people who are all in agreement, but from a, we are personally connected to this. Now, I will say this. There are times where us as leaders are making an executive decision because we see a direction the church needs to head. It's our responsibility still to communicate the why behind the what. So even though you have to make sometimes executive decisions, don't berate people with that executive decision, but take the time to explain the why behind the what. And that will prevent a lot of fear of conflict. Very cool. Very cool. Does anybody else want to jump in? Got anything else to add? I know you do. I know you do. Matt, Pastor Matt, are you looking at me? I mean, the only thing that I will add about fear of conflict is if you're afraid to address something, that's going to become the hidden conversations in the, in the back rooms. So if, if you're, as a leader, afraid to head, uh, be head on with these conversations, uh, we live in a generation where uh, knowledge is accessible to anyone, right? You can Google anything. Uh, you can read things. And uh, if you're afraid to take those conversations head on, um, it's going to create a lot of dysfunction in, in that team because you're afraid of that conflict or what, what those disagreements might lead to. Thank you. I'd like to add to that, too. Yeah. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and a peacemaker is not afraid of conflict. A peacekeeper, a peacekeeper, for example, you might deal with that in your home with husband and wife, right? The peacekeeper is going to, at any cost, they're going to avoid conflict at any cost, even the cost of telling the truth. So, but blessed are the peacemakers because when you don't avoid conflict, when you're willing to step in and say the things that may be uncomfortable, um, of course, in a loving, graceful way, <laughs> right? Uh, or, or speak to the things that are, everybody knows, everybody's feeling, everybody's sensing, but they're not spoken. You are literally, when you are willing to step into that conflict in some situations, you are literally making peace. And so that's where the blessing comes in. Thank you. Praise God. That's awesome. So the third dysfunction is uh, lack of commitment. And, you know, for, for the panel, just um, lack of commitment was uh, lack of clarity, lack of buy-in, um, ambiguity and direction, all of that stuff. And so, uh, Pastor Matt, you and I were talking about this. You want to you wanna jump on this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the ways that we see uh, lack of commitment play out in different teams um, is the bystander effect. Uh, quote, unquote, someone will do it. Uh, so you, you probably have heard in church, right? Someone doesn't go here. Um, that's because there's a lack of clarity, right? There's, there's a lack of buy-in. Um, and and what, it, what it really breeds is, is a couple things. One is uh, it results most often in things being overlooked, 
right? Things like, oh, who did X, Y, and Z? Who was supposed to do this, right? Um, and then the teams uh, are, are thinking about that, and it's like, oh, we forgot to do that. Um, it either is not done, like, in its entirety, or what happens a lot is it gets placed on the person who serves well on their plate. So then you have a lot of people that are able to uh, function in dysfunction, I'm, I'm one of those folks where I'm like, I, I, I tell people in my interviews at my jobs, I'm like, listen, I work well under stress, but that's not the goal, right? When you think about a lack of commitment, right, that's not the goal, right? Your pastor, uh, uh, listen, you're a, a team lead, right? It shouldn't fall on you just because you serve well. But there should be a buy-in and a clarity to everyone on the team that you serve on, on the, in, the, in the church that you're uh, operating in, um, in your community, right? All that stuff. Um, I, I like to call these people the cleanup crew, right? So that at the end of the event, it's like, oh, the event was so great. And then the people that were the cleanup crew are dying, right? That's what you're leading to burnout, people stressed out of their minds because they've cleaned up after that bystander effect that happens with the lack of commitment, right? Um, one of the ways that, that we've, uh, our church has, has really tried to navigate this, uh, the first one is we've, we've implemented formal membership in our church. Um, and what we, what we mean by that is that um, not everyone that comes into our doors is automatically a member of our church. Um, we, we welcome everyone. We say, hey, anyone can come. Anyone can come and be a part of the gatherings. Um, but we take an extra step where we, where we encourage people to, to be a part of our membership classes. Um, and the reason why is because, again, it breeds that clarity is you begin to teach people what we teach here at this church, what we believe according to the scriptures, how we see the interpretation of the scriptures, right, and, and how we value that over anything else, right? And so that way, someone coming into our church as a member isn't confused, um, isn't blindsi- blindsided uh, by what we believe and what we teach. Uh, it's very clear. Uh, we've also implemented uh, our uh, deacon's DNA or a leadership DNA uh, to just kind of do that next step because um, I grew up in the church. I've been, I've been saved longer than I've, or like half, over half of my life. Um, and I remember, like, I didn't know what it took to be a leader, to be a deacon, right? I don't know what the next step was. It was just kind of like, you serve well, you serve hard, and eventually you'll be a leader. Um, And that was a culture that created a lot of people striving for something where they didn't actually know what road to go by. Um, And so now we created a a plan, like, hey, this is the way we do it here. This is the way you you get trained up to be a leader or a deacon, so that there's clarity, so that when we talk to people about, hey, you're a deacon, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 11 tells you how you ought to act, and so when I address your lack of commitment, you know that it's coming from the scriptures. It's something that you've already bought into. It's something you already have clarity in. Uh, again, it, it kind of reduces uh, that lack of commitment. That's great. Anybody else want to add to that? Because I mean, that was, that was really good. Yeah. He loaded. I feel so unprepared. It's like fight night. I'm like getting beat up. But some, something that's very simple. And I think a lot of times as leaders, we get so task oriented. We forget the focus is people. You want to build commitment. You have to demonstrate commitment to the people that are serving underneath your leadership. Don't forget as leaders, we are servants as well. And your team should not only have contact with you when there's ministry work to be done. If the only time your team is seeing you or hearing from you is on Sunday service, you're not committed to them. You're committed to the task. 
and we must be a church that is committed to the people and the building of the people because all these, all these systems, all these structures and all this stuff, it's a, it's a privilege that we get to have these things. But it's not mandatory to having the church because we are the church. But you don't have a people, you don't have a church. And so don't ever forget, like, if I want to see people committed, I must demonstrate my commitment to them as well. That's good. That's good. Uh, the, the next one for the panel um, is number four, and this is avoidance of accountability. And uh, just to uh, jog your memory, it's the Spider-Man meme uh, that, that we had up there. And so uh, uh, anybody, anybody have a thought on that, avoidance of accountability? These these guys are brilliant. I'm just sitting here marinating in the brilliance of what, what's being presented. But this is this is what discipleship looks like. And the reason the reason why these men are able to speak from where they're speaking, able to deliver from what they're delivering is because they've been accountable. They've been accountable and they understand the power of accountability. And we are in a in a in a time where accountability has been diminished and has been looked at as something that's become legalistic or pharisaical or some 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 movements and some you know new new leaders in church would call accountability um, as something that's um, possessiveness and things of that nature. But the reality is is that accountability is the guardrail that keeps you on track to fulfilling your purpose. And if you're not accountable to God, if you're not accountable to your leadership, the way that, the way that we've structured our ministry is that, first and foremost, I'm accountable to Jesus for every single word and every single sermon and every single thing that I say and do. And then I have an accountability uh, to, to my apostolic canopy at the Reach Network, and, and I have an accountability to my board in my church, and I have a massive accountability to my wife and my family, and I have a massive accountability to my church because my church holds me accountable to being the leader that, 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 that they believe God has ordained me to be. And so I have a 360 accountability that, that keeps me in line with God's purpose, God's plan, God's power and God's responsibility that he's placed over my life. And when, when you reject accountability, it's because there is a fear of finding something out about you that you think is going to disqualify you or remove you or keep you from pursuing uh, the, the call that God has placed on your life when in reality, it is the very thing that will help propel you into the call and keep you safe in the call and keep you healthy in the call for the rest of your Christianity. If you're going to finish this fight well, then accountability is a must with God, your family, your church, and your leadership. Yeah, I'll jump in here. Uh, I feel the same way just sitting up here with these guys. This is amazing. Uh, and all of us to be a part of this group, uh, that's, that's where we started from the very beginning, right? From, from, from the day one of relationship, the accountability is there. And I love the way Pastor Eddie put it, it's a guardrail. And you have to, you have to change your perspective about accountability if you're going to go further. 
because correction isn't rejection, right? It's when somebody comes and says, when you, you, you've put yourself accountable to somebody, you've allowed that because you have to allow it, right? You have to allow it. You have to allow your pastor to hold you accountable. You can reject it or turn away from it, but his correction is going to keep you on that track. And there's, there's nothing better than being able to sit down. And I know, obviously, when we say men, we talk about humankind. But there's nothing better than to sit down. And it's one of my favorite places to be, is sitting down eye to eye with another man and talking about the things of God and helping them recognize, helping them recognize the things that will hinder them. Be careful when you're predicting what those who are, are, are covering you with leadership, predicting what they're going to say. Predicting how they're going to feel. Predicting how they're going to react. Oh, I know my pastor's going to say this. Or I know my leader's going to say this. That's why, I, you know, I know it anyway, so why even share it? Be careful when you're doing that because I guarantee you, as you work with the men in this group and the leaders in the group, the ladies and the sisters in the group that are leading, you're going to be pleasantly surprised that it's usually not what you think. You're usually going to find someone who's going to understand right where you are because they've been there too. They're going to understand that, and they're going to be able to help you get past that. Get over that fear. Get over that. Knowing that the people that are above you love you. They want to help you and be open to what they're saying. Can, can I also say that when, when accountability takes place and that correction is taking place, we, we have a saying at, at our church, um, the motivation of confrontation is restoration. That's our motivation. So we're confronting you to help you heal and help you grow, um, not to remove you or to diminish you. That's the, that's the way that the world does things. In the kingdom, our motivation of correction, our, our motivation for the, for the confrontation and the correction is because we see God's gifting in you. We see God's plan on your life. We see things that you may not even see in your own life. And so when God gives us that discernment or that, that word of knowledge to come and confront you in these things, like, I, I have, like, you can ask Max's, I have zero problem confronting anybody. Like, zero. whatsoever. It doesn't matter how hard the confrontation is because I know that the motivation is to see them restored in Christ and to see them pursue the call of God on their life. But Satan would have you believe that that confrontation is there to remove you from all things godly. And that, that's just the assault of the enemy. And, and when you're confronted in love, and, and, and I love the way Pastor Omar I brought this out years ago. We, we, we have what we call these truth and grace conversations, right? So here's the truth. You're messing up. Here's the truth. You're being stupid. Here's the truth. You're not doing this in alignment with our values at Restoration Life. I don't even know where you got what you're, what you're doing in our church, but it wasn't birthed out of our church. And so we don't want you bringing that stuff in here. It's not our DNA. Keep that out of here. And so when we're confronting that, we're confronting, one, because we love you. Two, because we see God's call over you. Three, because we see God, God's plan over you in, in the future that you have here. And we want to see you thrive, not dive. Right? And so always remember that when your leaders confront you or want to talk to you about It's funny because Pastor Dave, I remember Pastor Dave in the early days. He, he would come up and he goes, we need to talk. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And then he would just leave. And it was like, well, when are we going to talk? That's like torture. Like, what are we talking about? What did I do? What didn't I do? You know? <laughs> and then, and then he, and he was like, hey, I really needed you to do this and not that. I was like, oh, okay, that's easy. Could you have said that when, like, you said we need to talk? You know? Um, <laughs> 
I was telling Pastor Dave, man, that's torture in other countries. That that's psychological warfare. You know? So whenever you tell your guys, hey, we need to talk, talk to them right there. Don't, don't let them hang on to like, babe, what did you say? Like, like God, what did you say? Like, well, what is there something to say? You know? So, um, but that, that confrontation, if, if, you're, if you're a leader or you're a disciple or a servant or a volunteer, however you see yourself, welcome the truth and grace conversations. Because one, you're going to be able to confront some things that you weren't willing to confront on your own. And two, you have somebody that cares enough about you that is willing to talk to you about it and walk you through the process of that so that you can fulfill what God has put on your heart to fulfill. And that's why your leaders are there. So welcome truth and grace conversations. Don't reject them, but welcome them. And then keep those truth and grace conversations between you and your leader. That's good. Because yeah. a lot of other people will not understand some of those conversations. They're not ready for them. That's why they were not involved in them. And that means sometimes even your spouse. Because I've had truth and grace conversations with people, with men, who didn't receive it properly, went and told their spouse. Now their spouse has an issue with me. And then God convicts the husband because he knew that what I said to him was correct. He repents and makes things right with me, but he never tells his spouse that he repented and that he was wrong for thinking or saying the things that he said. And she still has a problem with me. Now I got to have a truth and, truth and grace conversation with the couple that I should have never had to have had because he should have been man enough to keep it to himself. And to talk to me alone so that I can help him navigate that. And if he, if he needed to talk to his spouse, I would have been like, you need to talk to your wife about this. And those are some of the things that uh, uh, accountability help when it comes to developing leaders in, in the kingdom. That's good. I'd like to say something real quick. That, oh. uh, that was Pastor Eddie chapter 3 when I was doing those things. There was a little bit of strategy there. Not Pastor Eddie chapter 33 or 35, right? But, but I remember one time uh, my wife and I had just gone through, we were pastoring ready for years and you were with us at the time. And it was, we had gone through one of the hardest things in our life, one of the most difficult trials we've ever faced. And I'm sitting in front of my pastor telling him that, you know, we're just talking and we're sharing with him what we're going through. And, you know, and, and, and I said, at, you know, we prayed, prayed it through and we're talking. And as soon as we're, we're about to go, I said to him, pastor, I just can't wait till this is over. And you know what he told me? He said, oh, Dave, that's just the selfishness in you. And then left. See, that's where I learned it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we ended. But, but what, what I did really helped me, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing, is instead of thinking, man, that was cold-blooded, right? Or, and, and even Pastor Reddy mentioned, he start, started thinking, okay, what can it be? What is it? When I did that, right? But, but when, I, when I'm leaving that room, I'm thinking, okay, it is, it is, there is some pride there. There is some selfishness there. That God, God must be doing something in me for him to identify it in that way. And instead of considering it enmity or accusation, I, I, I thought about it more and thought, you know, there are things that I need to learn here. And there is a lot of selfishness in me that has to be broken. 
And I let the Lord minister to me through that instead of ruminating, thinking about it, about how insensitive my pastor was or my leader was, right? I thought about it and applied it, and it's helped me throughout the years. That's good. So good. So good. And I'll, I'll, just remind, uh, I'll just remind you all, uh, you know, uh, jot down your questions or, or get your questions uh, going here. Uh, we're going to cover this last dysfunction. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Angel, give him a little bit of time to think about this last dis- dysfunction and inattention to, to results. And then we'll have Pastor Eddie share as well on the topic. But uh, Pastor Angel, a couple of things. Inattention to results, ultimately what we're saying is that breeds a me versus we culture. Um, and we, we say this often is that we don't uh, we, we don't want to create a culture that is competing with each other, but we want to complete each other. So maybe give us a, a little bit of insight or, or thoughts. Yeah, I think, I think the best mission for every team um, should always be, hey, listen, your win is my win. Has to be that. Because if, you, if, if you're a part of a team and everyone's looking out for themselves or is always bringing um, their wins to the table, uh, it's going to breed just like a negative level of competition. And I, I think competition can be good and healthy in a team, but when everyone's looking out for their own wins and only celebrating themselves, it'll breed a level of, of competition that's unhealthy. And so one of for us, one of the things that we do is we celebrate. Like, before we even get into critiquing um, maybe our Sunday service, if we get together um, maybe at an executive meeting on a Wednesday, and we're, we do, it's kind of cheesy, we do glows and grows. And we, 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 we start off with glows because we want to celebrate each other and not just ourselves. And it's, it creates this beautiful environment of like, hey, man, I saw production killed it on Sunday. Those teenagers back there, when they're typically very loud and missing all the slides, they were on point on Sunday. <laughs> Every slide hit. <laughs> Worship team was on fire. And so we, we create this level of celebration. And then it prepares us to say, okay, where are we at with our metrics? Are we meeting what we really want to meet and, and our goals? But I, but I think a, a healthy culture is you got to be able to celebrate um, one another and then dial it back in because we're not about numbers, but they help us tell where we're at and, and also uh, to help us get to where we want to be. And so I think uh, when you're able to create that environment of just um, a celebratory one, um, that even cr- helps with accountability because we all know that, man, we've got the same goal in mind here and we want to see the kingdom continue to advance. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, I, maybe I can start getting some motion here and I'm going to have Pastor Eddie share just in a second. Um, but if you have a question... Um, I'm going to ask you and, and direct you over to where uh, Marcel is. If Marcel, there you are. And uh, if you could just line up over there, you can start moving right now. If you have a question or, or uh, um, about anything that we've talked about, we'll get that moving while Pastor Eddie uh, talks about this inattention to, to results and, you know, give us some insight on that. Yeah, so um, I love what Pastor Angel said because we, we've cultivated, you know, we win together, we lose together, but we're going to do it together. Uh, because we are a family. Yes, we are a team, but we are a kingdom family. And um, one of the things that I, that I love seeing our leaders do is, 
is shepherd their teams um, almost like a small group, like a life group. Um, because if you're not careful, you can get caught up on, on the task primarily on Sundays and ministry nights and things of that nature. But we've, we've cultivated this understanding in our leadership that people are our purpose and not our property. So we have to take care of people and make sure that they're spiritually healthy, that they're emotionally healthy, that they're psychologically healthy, that we're investing and in, in, in discipling and training them way before, you know, game day, right? right? Way before service times. And so our, our, even our team leaders have now been cultivating a culture of a life group setting amongst the teams as opposed to just a task-orientated um, pursuit of, hey, let's get this done. This is our task. This was on, on the planning center. This is what we got to do today. But, but coming in and saying, hey, good morning, guys. Thank you so much for serving. And God's going to do an incredible thing today. And just walking around the room and just saying thank you for people's sacrifice and their gifting. I can't, I can't tell you what a moment of gratitude will do for somebody that came in and didn't feel like coming in today or going through and navigating difficult things in their own personal life that they haven't shared with you. But when you come and you put your hand on and say, hey, I love you. Thank you so much. You look fantastic today. Thank you for serving the way that you do. It, it, it really is a great part of developing that culture on your team. And then the, on the metric side of it, um, on, on every Tuesday, we have our staff meetings and we, we meet with our, 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 all of our team and staff, and we, we talk about, again, the wins, you know, over the weekend and what we pursued, and we also look at some of the losses, because we could always do everything better. Yeah. We have to have the mindset that, man, as good as it was on Sunday, I mean, as incredible as it was on Sunday, what are some of the things that we didn't do so good that we can address so that we can make better for the next time? And it's continual, and when you look at your metrics, and you're looking at the numbers over the weekend and the people that are watching online and those that got saved and the baptisms you have, when you look at those metrics, you have to remember that you're right. We're not about the numbers, but also recognize that every number has a name and every name has a soul and every soul is spending eternity somewhere. And so when you look at those numbers, we're not looking for numbers to fill seats. We're looking numbers to fill heaven. Does that make sense? And, and, and when you look at that throughout the year, not just... You know, you have to look at, I would say, your metrics on, on a monthly and quarterly basis to find out what did you do good that quarter that brought in more people that have never come? What are you presenting online? What series are you preaching? What are the, some of the things that the team was doing evangelistically or, or um, with discipleship and training or retreats or whatever it may be? Look at the numbers. Find out where your n biggest numbers came in because those were the biggest opportunities for you to share the gospel and for people to give their lives to Jesus. And so metrics matter. And if you don't look at those metrics, you're doing your team and, 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 and what you do for Jesus a disservice because you're not able to navigate where we've been most fruitful. I want to work smarter, not harder, but recognize that in working smarter means that you're still going to work hard, but you're going to reap more fruit by working more intelligently with some of the tools that you've been given uh, to find out where you've made the most impact. And if you can do that more constantly through the year, you'll see not just the metrics change, but you'll see more people saved. You'll see more people going to heaven. You'll see more people restored. You'll see more people being released to do what God has called them to do. And isn't that our mission at Reach Network? That's great. That's great.
So we're going to take we're going to take questions here uh, uh, from from the crowd, and I'd ask us this real quick: um, if you have a question, you know, um, let's uh, let, let's not have an absence of trust. Let's get out and let's ask. You know, if, you know, let's not have fear of conflict. Okay, let's get out and ask the question. Uh, those that are asking questions, please, if you would be concise, and then we'll have uh, we'll have the panel answer. If we could also be concise too, uh, and I say all that because we want to get to ministry. We want to pray for people and all of that all of that as well. So, uh, first question. Morning. Uh, my question is, um, a lot of teaching takes place in the church um, outside of the pulpit as far as theological education and Bible studies or connect groups. How do we keep teachers accountable in their own development as well as the content of what they're teaching? Uh, it's, it's a big church. You, you, you're not going to be at every Bible study, every connect group. So how do we keep those people, like myself, um, accountable in their own development and also uh, in what they're teaching? So, so anyone that's got a, a, a succinct answer to that? Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you how we've, we've done it. I, I can't speak for everybody else, but one of the things that we've been very adamant about is whenever we give anybody any sense of platform, whether it be platform on the stage or platform in a life group or any kind of platform, we have a process of discipleship. And so we want you, first and foremost, to finish our DNA growth track class to make sure that you understand what our vision, our mission, our passion, and what we would, what I would describe as our surface level doctrine is, because we want you to go deeper in your doctrine. And so we, we make sure that you finish that, that course, that you're a member of the church, that you understand what we believe, that you roll with, you know, with, with what God's doing here, regardless of where you come from. And then from there, you're, you're involved in ministry, you grow in ministry, and then you go, before you're allowed to have any kind of platform of teaching, we make sure that you go through our RLU college, Bible college, which is just basically a, a doctrinal training camp at our church. It's a 12-week in-depth doctrinal training camp with, um, you know, a Bible boot camp studying through the Bible, our doctrinal teaching, and our apologetics class. And then we teach you how to be a life group leader you know, in our, in our church with our life group manual. And in addition to that, what you teach on, on life group is the diggings or the lessons that we release to you from the Sunday sermons that are broken down into outlines. So you're walking in parallel with what we're teaching on Sundays and just adding to what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that past Sunday. And it's become a conversation in the life group. And so that helps us to develop a guardrail for what you're teaching, but also you wouldn't be allowed to teach if we didn't trust you to teach in the first place. So recognize that if you've been released to teach, it's because there's a trust in, in your teaching, but the, the development is something that you have to pursue personally. All right, because we can't, oh, we, we feed you on Sundays, we, we feed you on Wednesdays, we feed you in the classes, we feed you in the DNA class, but you gotta go home and eat, right? You gotta study to show yourself approved. And, and if for us, if, if you've been processed in that manner of discipleship, then we have full trust that you're not going to say something that's out of context. And if you do, there's grace. That's where truth and grace conversations happen. In addition to that, in addition to all of that, because that's pretty great stuff, is, is relationship. It's relationship. So it's, your church, as your church grows, you're going to have more leaders. But everybody's going to have a leader who's working with them. Everybody has a leader who's they're accountable to. Well, the senior pastor, the lead pastor is going to have 
uh, workers under directly reporting to him, then as the org chart goes down, everybody will have some accountability to someone. And the key is relationship. That person directly you're working with or they're leading you, they stay with you, they talk to you, they ask you the question of how are you doing, those kinds of things, it's through relationship also. That's great answers. Thank you. Ne next question. Um, my question is um, regarding the youth. Um, th those five dysfunctions, do they apply to, you, to the youth? And how do we grow the commitment with our relationship with the Lord and to each other? Because um, I find um, sometimes as watching over them, I can get all excited and say, hey, guys, this is what God's doing. Let's keep moving. But I see that sometimes there's a lack of engagement or lack of commitment to each other and just a um, sense of non-excitement, I guess. That would be my question. Yeah, um, real quick, if we get the sound team, if we get more monitor for, for uh, the mic that's out there, that, that would be helpful for our panelists. Um, I would say, yes, the dysfunctions do do apply, but I'll let, I'll let you guys respond to it. Sure, yeah. Um, I... I I got saved when I was 14 years old. The Lord saved me when I was a young man. Um, and all I knew was youth ministry at that point. Um, and our youth leaders at that time uh, really devoted themselves to addressing these dysfunctions, even at a young age. Um, so it wasn't just a, a, an upgrade to children's church where there was just songs and fun games, yeah. uh, but it was biblical principles that were taught. Um, and so, yeah, they absolutely apply. Uh, when you think about developing trust with the, with the youth, I think in our generation today, right, like again, they have access to much more knowledge than, than any other generation before. Yeah. So what's, what's going to win them is not your knowledge, it's what you demonstrate in your care for yeah, them. Right. Right? So, so that's, the, that's the biggest pull right there. Is if, if you can get someone, a young, a young person, to believe that you actually value them, that you care about them, that trust is foundational to everything else. And so, so again, that all builds off of that. Once you have that vulnerability, you have that trust, then you can go into the conflict, you can go into the commitment, you can go into the accountability, and finally you can go into making sure that those young people understand the importance of the results. That's great. Great answer. And, and to add to that, something that every youth leader has to take into context, remember they're maturing just as human beings in general. And sometimes we, we want to see them turn into Timothys and Johns like right away. Like in these next three years, I got this kid. They are going to be the greatest disciple ever. You are a seed planter. You are breaking through the concrete. You are breaking ground and you are planting a seed. And so you have to be patient through the process. And sometimes we, we get very parental and do it because I said so-ish. And remember, it's your responsibility to plant the seed. But... And in that process, it requires patience, requires watering, requires harvesting. It's a, it's a lengthy process. So just always take that into context when you're leading young people. They're still maturing just as a human being in general. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Thank you for that. We've got okay. one more question. Go ahead. Yeah, so on the topic of fear of conflict, uh, Pastor Dave, you said that you use the scripture, blessed are the peacemakers, and a peacemaker is not afraid of conflict, but as leaders, when should we know when to not have those grace and truth conversations? Because you often find yourself like in those in chaos, having those conversations as a peacemaker. Yes. <laughs> Did you say when? When do we when do you have those conversations? Is that what you're asking? Oh, the discernment of having the conversation. 
Well, again, well, everything has to be spirit-led, right? Everything has to be spirit-led. And that, and in re, it, it, everything starts with relationship. I tell people all the time, listen, if you don't love that person, then you're not the one to correct them. That's great. Right? So, so everything starts in relationship. So you, you hear from the Lord, and you take a step to, you, you're praying for that person. You know, you, if you're leading somebody, you should be praying for them every day. And, and the Holy Spirit puts something upon your heart. You see something, you recognize something, you make a move. You make a move when the Lord leads you to. And you do that spirit-led and in love. And if the relationship's there, even if you make a bit of a mistake, it, the Lord still will use that because the relationship's there. If you're going to make a mistake, though, make err on the side of grace. Err on the side of grace. If, you, if you're not sure, err on the side of grace. But pursue, always, always pursue those. Like Pastor Eddie said, he, is, he has zero fear of those conversations you kind of have to move in that direction also don't let ever don't let ever let fear stop you or make you do something right it's a good it helps us but it doesn't stop us from making some do something so he's spirit led so powerful if you don't love them you can't confront them that's just gold right there i want to just add a little bit to it because um being being leaders um a lot of us haven't been um, necessarily always trained on how to approach conflict. And I remember not long ago, um, something took place in our church with a couple that are our leadership couple that we love. I mean, we love this leadership couple, great couple. And um, they had directors or leaders over that, over that ministry. And I was like, look, we're going to have, you guys are going to have to address this. Um, this isn't, this isn't healthy for our church. This isn't healthy uh, for their team, and we're going to have to address this. And the the their their leaders, which were two different um, guys from two different ministries that they're under, so well, we don't. Well, how do we address this? And I was like, I was like, here, here, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come together, and this is the way that I would address it. But because you never have, I'm going to have both of you in the room with me, and I'm going to address it. And I want you to learn from me on how to address this. First thing that we're going to just make sure that they understand. The reason why we're in this room is because we love you and we care about you and we want God's best for you. But there are some things that you've allowed into your marriage and into your ministry that are detrimental to all of this together. And so this is what we need to do next. And I had to remove this couple from ministry for a season of refreshing and restoration. And, you know, they needed to develop some of these things in their in their lives and in their marriage to help them continue to pursue God. But I had two of the leaders with me watch me and learn how to approach this conflict, how to approach this address in a very loving and biblical manner. So now I can trust that these two leaders, the next time that they have to do it, and they will at some point, will we'll know how to navigate this. But first they touch base with me. And I would say this to any leader in the room. If you're going to confront somebody in truth and grace on your team, I would touch base with your pastor or leader first. Get some wisdom. Get some insight. They may know a little bit more than you do about what you're about to step into that they can help you navigate. And they, if they feel like you're ready for it, then, of course, they're going to release you to it. Or they may be just like, hey, let me help you with this, and we'll do this together because we're a family. Real quick, let me add, add to just that. I think naturally... We, we want to avoid conflict because we feel like uh, it's going to ruin a relationship. But I've learned over the years is that sometimes 
the best relationships are developed through conflict. And when I'm sitting with someone that I love and care about, and there's got to be some correction there, is many times that conflict takes our relationship to a whole nother level. And so lean into that as a leader because you love them, you want to see them grow, and you're coming from that place and let them know. I believe that even us having to work this out together is going to help the trust factor here. As you're going to actually see that I don't just dismiss you when you blow it, but I'm here to walk with you through this and help you grow to be a, a better leader. Yeah, so good. So good. So we, we have uh, one, one last question. Uh, Pastor Omar, go ahead. All right. Well, I'm going to add. Okay, guys. All right. Thank you. I will add that you have not had a conversation with a man until you had a confrontation with a man. So we have to have a confrontation if we're really going to have a conversation. But let, let me just back up a little bit and, and get some clarity on there are various different churches, different sizes here. And so if I'm a smaller church, 30 people, 40 people, that, that graph up there can be very intimidating. You guys are talking about teams, and I'm thinking, man, my team is uh, just a few people that I have with me. Where do I start? And so my question to you is if I'm just starting or I only have 30 people, 40, 50 people, um, I need to get organized, obviously. We know that we don't put structure in front of God, but God is the God of structure. We understand that. So where will I start and, and kind of give me a little bit of a, a blueprint of starting and to help some of the pastors that are here and different sized churches that are here, a lot of members that are here that are probably thinking that. So, such a good question. I'll just say one thing real quick. Um, your dysfunction is compounded and magnified in the size that your, your teams or churches grow to. So think about it this way. The culture is really the seeding or the, or the ground or the soil in which you're going to seed uh, what the ministry is going to look like or what your church is going to look like. So regardless of the scale of your team or church, these dysfunctions have to be addressed. Again, the, the larger you get, the more compounding it becomes, and, 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 and it's that way. So, Yeah, I mean, I'm in this situation now. We, we're just getting started, and I have a team of eight, right? And this is what we're starting with, and we're doing life group. And I'm already having these team meetings, and I'm setting the goals, the objective, and the expectations now. But I'm focusing on building trust. Even though they served under me at our church here they're now learning from me in a whole different dynamic. So I have to continue to build that trust. I have to create opportunity for us to navigate conflicts. When I'm looking around the table and I'm not hearing from somebody sitting at that table, I'm going to call on them and I'm going to engage them or I'm going to set aside time. If like I see the body language is not responding, then I'm going to take that time out. Like, the smaller your team is, the benefit of that is I get time now to work on this team. We, we can't be so far minded. Like, I, I'm not building minded yet. I'm not focused on, like, when we get a thousand people, I'm not there yet. I'm focused on these eight people. These are my disciples right now. These are the ones who are my committed people right now. And so, no matter the scale of your church size, working with that core group, that's your primary responsibility. And so, I, I'm releasing things to them 
at their capacity where they're at now to prevent a, a me versus we mentality. So if somebody comes up with an idea that we know we can run with that supports the vision, I'm going to champion that idea and we're going to give our effort towards that because that's going to give them buy-in. Uh, when it comes to commitment or accountability, if like, hey, I ask you to do that, something that worked really good in the military is the constant checkups. Every single day from the morning to the evening, we're constantly, where are you at on this? Where are you at on this? And how can I help with this? So every single step of the way, you have the ability and the time. Do it now. You got time. You got a small church. Use it. Use it to be engaged. So that's, that's where we're at now, and that's what we've been doing. It's been effective. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.